the work of our hands. We come to a wonderful psalm, and it's written by Moses. It's the one that is attributed to Moses, and so it's unique in that way. And because it is written by Moses, it is one of the oldest psalms that we have to date. But even though it's old, I want you to see, and you're going to see in a powerful way, how it's so relevant for each and every one of us, even still today. And he starts off with a comparison. And don't we love comparisons, so I'm going to just give you a few, and I want you to just share with your neighbor which you prefer and why, okay? So take a look. This is the first one. Which you prefer and why? Go ahead. Just share with the person next to you. Which do you prefer and why? All right. Uh, who are Coke people in here? Coke? Yeah? Okay. Pepsi? Okay, so the four of you, good. You're keeping Pepsi afloat, all right? So that's good, all right. How about this next one? All right, oh, Mac or PC? Go ahead, what the next two? Go ahead, share, which do you prefer? All right, Mac people? Okay, PC people? Yeah, that's right. All right, we were here first, right? So that's how it works. All right, just lastly, how about this one? This is a little trickier. Iced coffee or hot coffee? Okay? Go, share with the person next to you. Yes? Well, which one and why? Someone said, I don't like coffee. <laughs> nice, okay? Uh, all right, iced coffee. Okay? Hot? Okay. Now, the reason why I ask you to do that is because there are some things we compare. And really, the comparison is really close, right? Actually, the difference is very negligible. It's based on personal preference or opinion, right? But we start, and Moses takes this into a comparison where there is literally, right, the comparison is not even close. The contrast is stark, completely opposite on the other side of the spectrum because he compares God and us. And he talks about how God is immortal, self-existent, all-powerful, and we are brief, and we're dependent upon God. And you're going to see this. And see, he starts by doing this because before he even talks about why this is important in our lives, if you don't get this, you're going to miss out on the most important aspect of who we are as humans is to recognize the fear of God. And to recognize that God exists and he is great and I am not. Uh, any of you guys listen to Stephen Curse Chapman? Yes? Two of us? Okay, thank you. Um, anyone not know Stephen Curse Chapman? You don't know who that is? Because I'll be really sad if you don't know who that is. Because he's one of the greatest Christian artists. But I mean, he wrote a lot of songs, you know, Dancing with the Dinosaur. Or, uh, Let us pray. Okay, anyways, all right. So he wrote this one song. And, and it, it really speaks into this song. And the chorus is, God is God, and I am not. And that makes all the difference. And you see, for Moses, he starts there, because even before we talk about why that's important, how that should affect us, you have to get this. And so he spends the first 10 verses on trying to help you to understand that God in his self-existence is so great that you better bow in reverence and fear and worship of this almighty God. So that's where we're going. You with me? All right. Yes? 
Okay, thank you. Let's go. So you're going to see, and I hope you can pick up this contrast because it's so clear. Verse 1, it says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. So the first thing you see here, he's saying in all generations, from everlasting to everlasting, it's not from past to future. He has no beginning, no end. That is our God, immortal and self-existent. While in verse 3, it tells us, but man, when God says it's your time, you return to dust. Just like he created you out of the dust, you're going to be gone. You're getting it? You get the contrast? He moves on. He says this, verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with the flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. So another contrast. He says, for God, a thousand years is like just one day, or even shorter. It's like a watch in the night, which is like four years, if you, or I'm sorry, four hours based on the Hebrew watch, or three hours based on the Roman watch. So he's literally saying a thousand years is like a lunch break for God. He snaps and it's gone. But for us, a thousand years, I mean, just think about that. Do you know tomorrow is what? July 4th. It's America's birthday. Do you know how old America is? Anyone? Come on, you good Americans. How old is America? It's 240 years. Did you know that? And we think about all the great things that we think about as our country that has happened. Do you know Columbus discovered America? you know how many years ago? I had to look this up. So, 532 years ago. That's barely over half of what this passage is talking about. And we think about all of the things that has happened in humanity from that time. God is saying in a thousand years is a blink of an eye for him. That's how great our God is. Amen. And yet for us, you know how we are? We'll take a look. It says this, you sweep them away as with a flood. It's literally like a flash flood that comes and goes. Or for us, we are like a dream. We have dreams all the time, don't we? And we don't remember what? Like 99% of them, unless it's like crazy or like really scary, right? Or like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Because if you can imagine just being in Israel and how because of the morning dew, something might prop up real fast, but the scorching sun comes and it's gone. That's us in comparison to God. So, oh, how we should praise and honor and bow down before our almighty creator because he's so much greater than who we are. Now, in verse 7 through 10, I love this part. Because he's going to go deeper. It's not even just that our life is brief, but the brief life that we have, apart from God, we are in sin and in God's judgment. So apart from him, it is toil, it is horrible. Apart from God, our brief 70, maybe 80 years that we have here, it is without God, it is meaningless, it is worthless. All right, let's read on. It says this, For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. 
For our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but what? What is life? It's toil and trouble apart from the living God. And they are soon gone. And we fly away. I don't know if that moves you, but it should. That apart from God, we are stuck in sin and his judgment. And the amount of years that we have here is just but toil and trouble without God. So then in verse 11, it's kind of a transitional verse. It's kind of a rhetorical question. It says this, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Well, we should, right? That's the response. As the people of God, because of how great he is, and apart from God, it's toil and trouble. In verse 11, in Assus, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Well, all of us in this room, amen? Okay, let's try that one more time, okay? The first amen was actually pretty good, and so I'm proud of you. Who should, right? Who should, as verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? We all should, amen? Because we are brief, we are sinful, apart from God, there is no good in us. So now, once you have that in your mind, Moses wants to tell us how we should live our life now in light of these truths. So he's going to tell us three things, and that's where we want to go. I want to spend the rest of the time here talking about these three things in light of what we know. Moses painted for us this beautiful picture, apart from God, how we should live our lives. So that's where we are going. Are you with me? Thank you. We're catching on. We're catching on. Thank you. All right. So the first point is this. In light of these truths, we ought to number our days to get a heart of wisdom. Right? That's verse 12. Number our days. Teach us to number our days. You know what that means? It means to treasure each day as a gift from God, to account for it, to not waste it, to understand that you are not guaranteed another day or another Sunday, to know that each day that you lose is another day you are closer to death. Think about it. After this Sunday, it will be one less Sunday before you die. Let's say you knew that this was going to be the last Sunday you got to worship God. How would you worship? With all that you are, no? I would preach for like four hours. I don't care. I'm going to die. I'm going to go crazy. Right? So I think when you, when you listen to this, when it says teach us to number our days, it's to say I wake up each day and know that this day is a gift from God. I must live it to the fullest. Not to just waste it, but to give it fully to God. This is why it says when, a number, when we learn that, it teaches us a heart of wisdom. Isn't that beautiful? It's not just wisdom. It's not just information. It's not just application of information. It is literally information and application, right, permeating all that we are. What is wisdom? Proverbs tells us what? The beginning of wisdom is what? It's fear of God. What this is telling us, the fear, awe, and worship of God permeates all that we are when you number your days. Because you know that, man, I'm one day more to meeting my creator and letting him know how I live my life. So each and every day, I'm going to give it to him. Fully to him. 
living in the way that he desires. I was uh, following the news, and there was this guy. There's a picture. Let's see if you could shoot that up. Uh, there's this man. His name is Jerome Lewis, and he, he's, he, he's going to meet the creator soon. Not because he's old, okay, but he's actually terminally ill. So he has cancer. The doctors have told him he's going to die. But he just won custodian of the year because he's a custodian at an elementary school. He's been getting surgery, chemo, but they know he's going to die. There's no cure. And so, you know what he does? Each and every day, he wakes up and he goes to work. You know why? Because he wants to share the love of Christ to the next generation. Because he knows that he doesn't have all these days, so he's not out there golfing and doing all this stuff. He's literally saying, I got to go and teach these kids that Jesus loves them. That's my goal, to live with a life that is full of heart of wisdom. Um, this is what a few of the teachers said about him. They said this, he's a breath of fresh air. Even when the day stinks, he does not. Another teacher said, you know, I'm not religious, but definitely he's an angel from God. This is what Jerome said when asked why he does this instead of going and, you know, doing all sorts of other things he could do for the brief time he has left. He says this, God saved me. He put a new heart in me. He changed me all around. It's God's doing, and he wants to share that. I wonder how our lives would look if we were to number our days, where each and every day you saw it as a precious treasure gift from God. Would we just waste it on random things, or would we try to focus on trying to give our very best to our God? And so the first thing that Moses wants us to do is knowing that God is great. We are not. Our time here is short. And apart from him, we are nothing. Yeah. Number your days. Live it to the fullest. See each day as a gift from God and give it fully to him. Amen? So that's point one. The second one, in light of this truth, we ought to live seeking the Lord for our joy. Because our joy is found in God. Verse 13. Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us for, and for as many years as we have seen evil. What Moses is saying is this. God, I want you to come back. <laughs> That's his prayer. God, I want you to come back because this is not my home. My joy is you. But in the meanwhile, guess what? I need your steadfast love, because that's where joy is found. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah for his steadfast love for us. Amen? That's where our joy is found. See, maybe you might try to seek after joy in all sorts of other places, and the world could kind of trick us, because sometimes it's tasty and satisfying, isn't it? Right? Sometimes it is. So you try to find it in other places, but you need to recognize that apart from God, there is no full satisfaction and joy. There isn't. Um, if you're a parent in this room, one of the most precious things you can teach your kids is to find joy in God and God alone. Because if you set them up to find joy in college, they're going to not find it. If you try to set them up to find it in marriage, okay, marriage is not bad, but they're not going to find it fully satisfying. They're not. My dream school was UCLA. I got in. It sucked. Okay. <laughs> I didn't go there and was like, oh my, now I don't need to do anything else for the rest of my life. At UCLA, one of the things they push is they want you to be an accountant. They say audit is the best thing. They brainwashed me so I became an auditor. I went in. 
It sucked. <laughs> if you set your kids up with these dreams of being satisfied in something in this world, guess what? They will not find it. And so Moses is looking at us and saying, do not waste your days. Your satisfaction is in God and God alone. Um, there's a picture. I don't know if anyone knows this couple. Anyone? They're semi-famous. Uh, they're Darius and Emily. And they, they're semi-famous for a website. It's called Million Mile Secrets. And so they're famous because they teach you how to take credit card points and use miles. And you can travel the world on pennies. And so their blog is filled with all sorts of, like, this is them in a first class, which they got free, right? This next picture is, you know, she's at Bora Bora, and so, you know, free. And then um, he's lying down, you know, first class, and they got it through credit card points and stuff. So they're literally, they have gone to the most, I mean, beautiful beaches in the world. They have traveled in the best, I mean, hotels, eaten the best food. And so you've got to think, if anyone is happy... It's got to be them. On their blog, they shared uh, they just got divorced. I mean, it's sad. I'm going to tell you right now. Because I get brainwashed too. Because I'm at Hawaii and you're sitting there, right? And then you're a pina colada, right? A virgin, right? And then you're sitting there. And uh, you, you literally think to yourself, you know, if I stayed here for a year, you know how much happier I would be? And you think that. I'm going to tell you right now, that's a lie. You might be happy for a little bit, but it's like with anything else in this world. We need to know and be convinced that our joy is found in God and God alone. Amen? And that's what we need to seek. Not after all sorts of these random things, but to know. It says this, um, Ecclesiastes 2.25. For apart from him, really, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? I love that. Psalm 16.2, the psalmist says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. You need to know this and treasure it and believe it and start living this out. Francis Chan said this, the irony is that while God doesn't need us but still wants us, we desperately need God, but don't really want him most of the time. He treasures us and anticipates our departure from this earth to be with him. And yet we wonder indifferently how much we have to do for him to get by. I hope that's none of us. I hope that we would live in a way where we pursue Christ in, in, in the most intense way where we find our joy in him. The third one is this, and the last one. In light of these truths, verses 1 through 10, we ought to live in a way where we trust God's strength and favor to establish our work. Verse 16 and 17 says this, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to your children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. We have all prayed this before. We have. Verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants. You've prayed, what? The will of God, please show me. Should I take this job or that job? Should I go this way or that way? Whatever you do, you've prayed that before. 
And then verse 17 is like, God, would you bless it? We're trying to do this thing, and, and it's for you. Would you bless it and establish it? I want you to know something. We are doing something. I'm a pastor. You guys are all doing something. You need to know that that is not by accident. And so God has given you this opportunity. So you pray because the success of that is on God. It's not on your smarts. It's not on your creativity. It's on God. It's on God to bring favor upon that. And so you, once you are blessed, you have to turn it back to God to give glory to him and use that as a platform, what? To teach others about our amazing God. That's what Moses is talking about. See, I don't care what you do. You need to know that that is God's calling for you. Uh, I remember in seminary, uh, I had a friend, and he would have one semester at school, one semester he was gone. So for two years, I noticed this. So the third year, I, I kind of caught up with him. I said, hey, I noticed you're not here second semester. What's going on? He's like, well, I'm a plumber, and so I have to pay for it because seminary is expensive. That's a pet peeve of mine, by the way. Uh, seminary is expensive, and so I have to work one semester to pay for the next semester. And so I was kind of flippantly saying, like, oh, that's horrible. And he's like, why do you say that? That's not horrible. So I was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know what I meant, but, like, you know. He's like, no, 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 I'm an ordained minister and an ordained plumber. <laughs> and that really changed, I mean, that really changed something in me. He said, you know, you don't, you don't know how countless times I had spiritual conversations while I was fixing something at someone's house. You don't understand how many times I actually got to pray with someone because they were sharing an opening about something that's happening in their life, and they find out I'm a Christian. That is the sort of attitude and perspective that we need to have on our work. Where you say, God, this is yours. So establish it and bring favor. Not so that it will make me comfortable, not so that it will make me happy, but so that it could be your working place for your glory and for more of your reflection of your love. So whatever you're doing, you take it to the Lord and say, God, would you bring favor and establishment so that more of your people can have impact in this world around us. You know, Colossians 3.17 says this, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And see, when you do this, you go from just secular busy work to spiritual kingdom-minded work. See, sometimes we think work is a distraction from my spiritual life. I want to change that a little bit for you. Work shouldn't be a distraction. It can be. But hopefully, what, what Moses is praying for here is this, that even work would be a place where God is the centerpiece of it. Where God is the centerpiece of it. And you're able to focus and know that this is an opportunity that God has given you. So use it for his glory. That as he establishes it, that you would turn it back to him in glory. So know this, my brothers and sisters. Uh, I know we can get caught up in all sorts of stuff. If you start getting lost in the shuffle, you need to be reminded of the first part of this, which is, God is great. I am not. I need to depend on him. And live in a way where I number my days, seek that heart of wisdom, right? Where I treasure all that he's done for me. And I would seek him in a way where all my joy is trying to really find it in him as opposed to the other things around me. And then lastly, that we would trust God with our work and to use it honor him because ultimately he is great and I am not. Let's pray together.
Jesus, we come to you. And we thank you that an amazing, almighty God creator would come down and care for souls like us. Where you would pour down your steadfast love upon our lives, our de- even our work. Who are we that you would consider us, God? And you continue to watch over us. Pour out your grace and unending mercy upon us. So as your people, would you give us perspective and eyes to see you more clearly through the distractions and maybe the muck of just the things that are in our lives? Because you deserve all the glory. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.